Hi everyone, Dr. Elizabeth Bonet here. Dr. Liz, welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast. Before we jump in, please note that the podcast is not mental health treatment, nor should it replace mental health treatment. If you need psychotherapy or hypnotherapy, please seek treatment from a trained professional. I do hypnosis all over the world, so please feel free to contact me through my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z-hypnosis.com. Hi everyone, Dr. Liz here. I was trying to wait until it stopped raining to record my intro, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. We are in the summer in South Florida and it rains pretty much every day, um, usually at pretty regular times, but this morning rain is a little bit of a surprise. Normally it rains every afternoon. So today's interview is really interesting. It is with Bud McGargy, who started out as a skeptic but found himself having conversations with his own spiritual advisor from beyond this physical life. Bud is a former senior behavioral healthcare executive, a Washington, D.C. healthcare lobbyist, and an independent published award-winning author. This is his fifth book about things communicated to him about what happens in the afterlife, about why we're here, about all kinds of spiritual questions that he has. Now, he does give a bit of background at the beginning. So if you want to jump right into the meat, I suggest fast forwarding to about minute 11, 12, 13, right around there where he really jumps into, what does the spirit guide say? You'll hear in the interview that I quite enjoyed his book because I found it so informative and it's well-written and it moves along very well. I found myself reading it at night sometimes, like, ooh, I just want to stay up and read this. A lot of you have heard me say on the podcast before that reading about near-death experiences is a great way to reduce anxiety. (laughs) I really believe that. And I still do that sometimes in the middle of the night. If I wake up and I'm finding that I'm thinking about things, I will often pick up a book about a near-death experience. I mean, these days it's on my Kindle. I'm not actually picking it up. And I found that this book was a similar type of read. Like, wow, it's so full of information about the purpose of life and what we're doing here and all of this good stuff. Now, during the interview, we talk about an octopus analogy. That's an analogy that's used in the book, just to give you a little bit of context about different ways that we move through our lives, sort of working our way through lives, almost like the tentacles of an octopus moving between them. So hopefully that will make more sense to you. There's also another author, Michael Newton, who has written a lot about what happens after life. And he accessed that through hypnosis. One of his most well-known books is called Lives Between Lives, which is about the spiritual place that we go to between lives where we do all this stuff. And you'll hear that on in the interview as well. I'm a big fan of Michael Newton. In fact, when Bud contacted me about the interview, I said, oh my gosh, I'm a huge fan of Michael Newton. And this sounds very similar. So yes, I'd love to interview you. Now, Bud is not under hypnosis during these conversations with his spiritual advisor. I want to make that clear. He's actually sitting with a medium 
who is communicating the information from the spiritual advisor. So it's not like Bud is receiving it directly. He's not a medium himself. He's actually very much a skeptic and remains so to some extent. But he's quite enjoyable to talk to. We talked a good bit after the recording stopped as well. And that's pretty unusual. Usually when I interview someone, it's we do the interview, we talk a little bit, and then we're done. But I found Bud very down to earth. No pun intended. <laughs> he's very down to earth and very easy to talk to. So let's jump in. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Hi, Bud. Welcome to the Hypnotize Me podcast. Elizabeth, thank you for having me tonight. appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, I am so excited. Um, I have spent like weeks reading your book, okay? And usually I like breeze through a book, but this one I really had to absorb. And this is your latest book, correct? You've written five? This is the fifth. It's not a series per se. It seems to have uh, evolved into one, at least from for some readers. But yes, this is the fifth in the series. The fifth in the series. Okay. Well, I am looking forward to like going back and reading previous ones. Honestly, <laughs> I had so much to like <laughs> contemplate and absorb, and um, and yeah, I'm so happy to be here asking some questions too. Well, I, I find that most readers don't get lost in the fifth book. I mean, there isn't anything that's hidden in the first four that can't be. <laughs> understood in the fifth but uh, good to know <laughs> but i get the same response that some say I, I think i need to go back and read some of the other ones to kind of fill in the blanks where there may be some vacant pieces for them so okay well i didn't really feel like there's blanks but just more like this is fascinating yeah. so i was very interested in your other conversations or in some of the other books um it's, it's different isn't it yeah it is. It is. And I think I told you when you contacted me that I am a fan of Michael Newton, who yes. does a lot of, um, I mean, it's past life regression, but then he really goes to what he calls the lives between lives, like the right. spiritual place where spirits meet and then really review their life that they've been in and make contracts for the life they're going to have, contracts meaning for themselves, for for other people in their spiritual cohorts, like that type of thing. In your practice, do you do any life after life? I, well, that's a yes and a no. So <laughs> I have had clients spontaneously go to past lives and um, I have never done one where someone's gone to like the life between life. Right. Um, and I, you know, I'm not really trained in that either. So I don't know if maybe that's, that's why is maybe there's a, um, an ease with it that somebody has to have right, right. to allow for that. Um, but it is absolutely fascinating to me. Yeah. I'm a fan of Michael Newton myself. Uh, so I'm, I'm familiar with what he, uh, what he's done. I'll share with you uh, maybe later because I brought Michael Newton up in one of my evenings and I'll, oh, you did. and I'll share with what, uh, what they said about that. Yes. But oh, I'll, awesome. I'll, I'll save that to the uh, to later. Okay. Well, I'm going to okay. make a note so we get back to it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Please <laughs> jot, jot that down. Yeah, I am. I'm going to jot that down. Um, so, but this is really, this latest book of yours is a different concept than that. I mean, it has some overlap there. Yes, it does have some overlap. Yes. Just to get us started, can you tell 
the listeners, like how you even discovered Laz, the spiritual guide that that talks to you through someone else? Yeah, well, what may give you a better context is how does somebody who has uh, has my background, how does somebody end up sitting in front of a uh, of uh, of an oracle? Uh, and the oracle, by the way, the term oracle was a term that the guides gave her. It's not one that she uses. So, okay. um, you know, how do I end up there talking to a, a spirit, for lack of a better word, mm-hmm. who in all intents and purpose seems to know me better than I know myself. Mm-hmm. And that really was the start of the series of books and why I decided to even write them. Because if the, the phrase was, if you were sitting in front of somebody who knew you better than you know yourself, what questions would you ask, knowing that you would get the most honest answers in return? There was no escape from it, you know, so you couldn't BS somebody as we yeah. typically do with some people. And uh, My husband and I had actually asked each other this question, like if you could ask a, a spiritual advisor, yeah. like any question in the world, like yeah. what would you ask them? And we had tossed this back and forth, and then I went to an Abraham Hicks um, seminar, I guessing you're familiar with because she's right, like an oracle, ended up in the hot seat <laughs> and able to ask my question, right? But it's yeah. like a, a different question came up, yeah. <laughs> of course, you know? <laughs> so that, yeah, how did you end up there? How did you end up in front of a well, spiritual advisor? Well, let's well, say. Let, me, let me get, let's go back. I'll give you a little background. You know, I, I come from a, uh, uh, a deteriorating steel, steel town in southeastern Pennsylvania. That's where I was born. After high school, I went to a Mid-Eastern college, never lost college. I graduated with a degree in psychology. Uh, when I came back, I continued my studies at Temple University in Philadelphia. I got both my master's and doctorate down there in health education and its contribution to the psychoeducational process. But I continued my ongoing clinical training at Eastern Pennsylvania Psychiatric Institute. And at that time, and I'll kind of date myself a little bit, that's the mid-70s, mm-hmm. uh, holistic humanistic psychology was a big movement. You know, mm-hmm. We were studying R.D. Lang and Rollo May and Eric mm-hmm. Fromm, Viktor Frankl, all those guys, and reading all their academic letters, et cetera, et cetera. But it kind of led the groundwork, I think, the seeding of uh, being maybe more unconventional in terms of the way I was approaching things. Uh, than some of my peers. But I did enter into the uh, the whole psychiatric profession. I've been a senior healthcare executive in behavioral health for 40 plus years outside of the clinical training I did initially. And mm-hmm. it was all in the for-profit end of the world, but I was always drawn to the unconventional, the uh, 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 not so much new age, but other ways of perceiving things. And let me tell you the genesis of that, because... Mm-hmm. I think that's important to understand how somebody ends up again sitting in front of this individual talking to some, yeah. some, some, some spirit. Then the seventies and eighties, when we were really developing the program structures, the hospital structures for uh, psychiatric care, uh, everybody was using the branding of mind, body, spirit. You know, we treat the whole mm-hmm. person here, and it kind of fell in line with what we had studied at Epi, East Pennsylvania Psychiatric Institute, etc. But in fairness, and in some ways, much of what they do and still do makes a difference. If we look at, in terms of the mind, the therapies that we can now introduce to people as they, as they face the challenges of the traumas they experience in life. 
you know, the physicality, we've done wonders in terms of the pharmaceutical interventions that take away the, the pain and structure that people present to themselves. But on the spirit side, mm-hmm. and the spirit side really ended up being, will somebody come in to minister for these people, pastor, priest, rabbi, etc., mm-hmm. on a Sunday, you know, and we'll kind of include that as a spiritual piece to our mind, body, spirit. I had an just an excellent, an excellent uh, clinical director when I was operating a hospital in Delaware. And uh, Dr. McGraw really took a look at that and said, you know, we have a problem with this, bud. Number one, if we're going to offer this, we have to have the capacity to offer it with every possible religious discipline that we get to experience. Mm -hmm. So where are you going to find the Muslim? Where are you going to find the Buddhist? We, you know, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, mm-hmm. uh, second to that, uh, are these people trained to do what they do in this setting? Mm-hmm. You know, are they counseling religious people, for lack mm-hmm. of a better term? And we have a medical staff here. Are they credentialed to even walk into the facility? Mm-hmm. And the answers kept being no and no and no. Mm-hmm. And Finally, she said, and I'm having an absolute nightmare every morning at treatment plan, trying to find a way to integrate these people who aren't even here. They just show up on Sunday when no one, none of us are here and having uh-huh. them integrate into the treatment plan. So that's kind of where it kind of it festered for me there. Uh-huh. Uh, at the time, my daughter was studying at a Buddhist monastery in uh, Northern Virginia, and she invited me to attend. And they were loaded with, uh, I think, things that I needed at that moment, the whole mm-hmm. alternative medicine thing. They were doing a lot of uh, acupuncture. They were doing a lot in terms of uh, color and smell mm-hmm. and taste and uh, all these things that change the vibration and frequencies of people to kind of better, uh, better care for them. Breathing, meditation, uh, rela- multiple uh, progressive relaxation kind of things. Mm-hmm all which kind of resonated with me because it actually translated to tangible takeaways that may fit into that little nodule of spirit within the mind, body, spirit programming thing. So that people who came to psychiatric hospitals may actually kind of walk away with a tool now that they Mm -hmm. could use going forward in terms of uh, the treatment of their care. So that's, that was the kind of foundation of everything. Then came the next evolution of this, which uh-huh. was if you're going to what if you're dealing in the area of the spirit of an individual, what does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. is are we talking about the soul of an individual? Is that what the spirit really is? And as you interviewed religious people, regardless of the discipline, they were all kind of moving down that pathway. What really is a soul? Uh-huh. Well, what is that? You know, for me, I was saying, what is what is that? Uh, I have a friend, two friends, actually, that uh, lived close to the reasonably close to the Oracle. And I was visiting with them and we're having this kind of a discussion. And they said, well, there is this, you know, median kind medium kind of individual that lives up in the mountain. You can't get nearer, you know, but. Uh We were kind of kidding. I said, well, let me get, let me, I'll call. Let me give you the phone. I'll call. Well, <laughs> to my surprise, I got to see her that night. Wow. And 
it wasn't so much. I've never had a like a personal reading by her per se, mm-hmm. uh, but we hit it off because her background was that at a very young age, she's from California originally, at a very young age, apparently had this talent that her mother didn't quite know what to do with. And Mm -hmm. uh, the Mahayana Buddhists from a monastery close by came and not so much took her, but trained her how to, I guess, adjust to these talents, or or lack of a better term, that she had. Mm So we hit it off because I'm studying at one monastery. She basically yeah. she basically lived at another one. And and so from that, this started to evolve. And we would go, we just had conversations. And she would see me periodically because it's uh, quite a distance from where I live. And one day when I'm up there and we're talking about a wide variety of things. This is where it gets weird, Liz. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> and, got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm on the edge here. Are, are you sitting down? <laughs> I am. Well, we're sitting again. We're we're just talking, and she says, "Oh, this is really strange." And I said, "What is that?" And she says, "You have a visitor." Oh. And I'm going, "What?" You know, like because I am. Uh, when it comes to that kind of thing, and I still am extraordinarily skeptical. I don't uh-huh. mind. I don't mind having a conversation, but I mean, you've got. You start going out on a, on a limb for me, and I'm going to get really skeptical about the whole thing. And <laughs> okay, got it. I know. And so that was the presentation of all that was such that I left and said, uh, do I want to go back to this thing? You know, and, 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 and so my, my curiosity is there, but my skepticism is there along with mm-hmm. it. And, uh, so I went and I, I basically Googled, like the rest uh-huh. of the universe would. I Googled, <laughs> what, what questions do you ask a spirit if they come? I made a whole list. You I made, made your a, list. I made a whole list. I said, okay, I'm going back. I'm going back on my list. And uh-huh. so I asked what I have what I've come to know now are, are really, they're not inappropriate. I guess they're typical questions like, mm-hmm. uh, who are you? Mm-hmm. Do you have a name? Mm-hmm. How do I know you? Et cetera, et cetera. But what I learned from all of that initially was that the way you ask them a question has to be really thought out because they actually take the question extraordinarily literally. So if you ask them the question, like one question, it's going to sound a little stupid, Liz, but I asked, I want to know where am I in this life? Oh, fantastic. That doesn't sound stupid. And you know what he said to me? What? You're sitting on the couch in this room. That's where you Oh, got okay. it. Got so it. I, well, that's pretty I'm, good, right? <laughs> so now, so now I'm, re- I'm really taking serious notes. I say, okay, I have to be careful with questions yes. I have because that dictates the uh, the answer you get. So I I met with Charlotte and this I don't know what to call it, Laz, for lack of a better mm-hmm. term. As he said, my name is Laz, and that's changed over time, but basically it's Laz. And I just I was just curious. I was asking a wide variety of questions that uh, either I was formulating for myself, my friends, my family were formulating, please take this question up about this or that. And I ended up about a year, I had all of these notes. I taped everything. I have a shoe shoe boxes full of tape here. And he said to me, you know, the the only reason I'm here is because you, before you came here, you didn't even know I existed. And I said, yeah. And he said, and everybody doesn't know that we exist. And if you wrote about this, Bud, people would begin to say, maybe they do exist. Mm. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. So this is what I did, Les. I started writing, but I wrote it. I wrote the experience I was having, uh-huh. but I wrote it as fiction. Oh, really? Because, I mean, how do I walk into my corporate staff meetings? <laughs> you know, having right, said, right. yeah, having said, <laughs> excuse me, I have uh, I have some reports on all of you based upon what the spirit told me. I, you know, so uh-huh. I thought it was kind of a way of of, of uh, protecting, I guess, in a way. Yeah. Like, to be honest, yeah. protecting. I um, could see that. And Felt so, a little safer. And so I wrote. In that case, I wrote about you know seventy thousand words, and oh. I was very proud of it. I thought it read very well, and went back mm-hmm. up, and he just tore me apart. Wow! Not, not in a bad way, because it he never, not negative. Uh huh. But he said to me in the end, "You've just told everybody that I don't exist oh. by writing as fiction. You just told everybody that I don't exist." And I so we went through that whole Got debate it. about why uh-huh. why I wouldn't write it as nonfiction and why wouldn't you write it? And if you do it, how do you do it? And uh, mm-hmm. so the structure. You've read the book. The structure of the book, yeah. I think, takes on, it's kind of threefold for me in terms of the way I wanted it organized. Uh, you've read Afterlife. So clearly mm-hmm. that book is about the afterlife. Right. right. It's yes. about the afterlife. Yeah. Uh, and I love the format of yeah. the book. Yeah. And like it's, the but it's also, back and forth, but then your your reflection. I yeah, really it's, appreciate it's my journey. It's reflection. also about my yes. journey here. Yes. Uh, and then it's also about the dynamic of what happens when you're sitting in with somebody like Charlotte yes. and you have an entity that comes. So you have like a threefold thing. Mm-hmm. And I found an ease with that because it was like I had a co-pilot, you know, mm, I wasn't yeah. standing alone with, and I had a co-pilot and mm. I wanted to be able to write it in such a way that I don't know how you came away from it with, but I wanted people to be able to say, well, if I were sitting there, and they were talking about this particular angle of it. I might have asked this question, or I might have asked that mm-hmm. question. And mm-hmm. when I interact with my readers, that's what they send me most often as well. Well, but why did you let him kind of press you on this the way he did? Why wouldn't you push back on that? Or huh. I would have kind of looked to this particular topic or gone more in detail with this particular thing. Why do you shift gears occasionally in terms of the dialogue where you, you've got him Uh Honing in on one topic, and then you kind of give them a almost like an out. Because I said, "Well, that's how that dynamic works. Your mind, you're sitting there, and it's the exchange is very rapid, Uh and so your thinking process is challenged, to say the least. About yeah, how do you take what question do you ask next in terms of the depth of where you want to go with all that? So that's that's the backdrop, Elizabeth, in terms of how that all came came about so if you picked up what is book one which we Mm -hmm. which my editor and i called we call it dirt but it's uh (laughs) okay it's dirt truth is the the plant next and then the tree and then well well, it's that dirt was actually a topic uh, one night Mm -hmm. but that book is just the first year and a half of those sequential meetings like the other four have a particular focus uh, oh, dirt, okay. dirt is just an accumulation, a compilation of, of, the of the meetings, but it gives you mm. an, uh, an idea of what I have relayed to you initially, which is how do you ask the question? So you get an answer that may yeah. make sense to people. So. 
Yes. Yeah. So that's, that's the backdrop. Okay. Fantastic. Well, I did not find myself questioning your questions as I went along. I thought they were actually really good. (laughs) I'm like, I'm really enjoying this. And I was just struck by so much, but particularly, I think the last chapter really struck me about awareness and how the, the goal is to develop awareness, not just awareness, but like kindness, really self-development, self-awareness, acting kind in the world. Yeah. Love. Um, It talks about love, clarity, and kindness. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Love, clarity, and kindness. I find, I find the, uh, I guess for me, and maybe people ask me uh, a lot of questions. And one question is, who is he? You know, who Mm -hmm. is Laz? And, Mm -hmm. and there's a piece in the chapter early in the book where I try to describe as best I can. Yeah. Um, But he's kind of like, um, in a way, your primary guides, which is what he is for me, apparently, are in a way almost a reflection of you, a portional reflection of you. So Mm -hmm. there's a sign of a similarity. He describes it as a similarity of energy, not a similarity of uh, continual belief systems. Mm-hmm. The way he perceives the universe is for is for me, and so I don't know whether you picked this up in the book or not. But most of what he says, analogies, hoaxes, conversations, mm-hmm. etc., are all relative to what I need to do. On occasion, he'll say, "You know, some of this applies to everybody, basically." But, yeah. Know, okay. He talked about the need to be more sympathetic that's me now mm-hmm. talking about, you need to be more sympathetic you need to really work at being less flawed you perceive mm-hmm. yourself as being more flawed than you are you have to okay. have you have well, to i have wasn't to. now that you're saying that i did not put that difference together because um i was assuming that a lot is applied to everybody like yeah. the sense of developing a sense of self-worth as part of our journey in order to um, progress our soul life, right? Our soul progression. Well, that's, that's intentional, I think, in part, not by design, architectural design, but it's intentional in terms of, I think, the way it rolls out, that you're reading the book that he's talking to me about through your eyes. So you're processing it through your internal system and saying, on occasion, saying, Yes, that relates to me, but it maybe not exactly the way it's relating to Bud, but it does relate to me because it really yes. is it really is universal. Yeah. I mean, believe me, I I wanted to highlight the whole book. And you know, that's not very useful to highlight a whole book, right? You might as well not highlight anything if you're gonna highlight the whole book. But it's like I cannot resist of like, oh my God, yes, yes, yes. You know, but I hear what you're saying. Um Absolutely. Like I'm reading it through my eyes and through my journey here and part of my own spiritual journey. So developing awareness, developing worth. I mean, that's such a huge focus of my practice even is to help people develop a sense of self-worth. Right. And then that was part of my own spiritual journey as well. When I got um, trained in this, this one technique where I did go back to a spiritual place myself and answered the question of, Uh, my purpose here being to help other people heal. And so 
you know, it's part of that contingent, I would say, and yeah. the building the awareness of that. But yeah, absolutely. I see now that you're saying like, oh, of course, we read it through our own eyes, right? right? Yeah. Our own journey. Yeah. And this yeah. is some of it specific to your journey. Yeah, which is odd. I'm not really uh, completely up to speed on this portion of the spirituality <laughs> spectrum. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, that's the skepticism coming out, Liz. Uh, <laughs> All right, well, uh, <laughs> you don't you probably don't know this, but I was an atheist for 20 years. Okay, well then and, and so I have plenty of skepticism <laughs> okay. in me. And we can we can relate to that. Uh, yes. Because it was channeled. So uh mm-hmm. what they call voice channel they call it. And uh, I had a really hard time with that. Even though I was sitting there and, there and it's been 10 years, this whole voyage has been over 10 years. And even though uh last time I was up there, it's very casual i'm sitting there i'll I'll explain Uh to you how that happens i'm sitting there and uh, charlotte and i were always talking about something one thing or another and that may go on for 20 or 30 minutes the sessions leave go three four hours actually Uh Uh, and she'll just she'll look over my left shoulder Mm. and she typically at this point she doesn't say anything i i see her eyes i said he's here isn't he and she'll say he's saying these things so Mm. I've seen others, not a lot. I'm, I'm, uh-huh. not, I'm not really up on the channeling thing. I, I've seen others that kind of get a, a kind of change, I guess, in the channeling mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. That's not sure that she's, she has a conversation with me, not unlike you and I are having now, uh-huh. except that she's saying, well, he's saying this, but, and, yes. I, and I'll say to her, what did, how do you do that, Charlotte? She says, well, she says, the only way I know how to explain this is it's like a computer and I'm trying to give it to you as quickly as I can give it. Mm-hmm. But the only change, but is that it may come out with some of my colloquial expressions, et cetera, et cetera. Got it. So it's okay. not say like exclusively verbatim. Mm-hmm. The other thing is that those channeling things that I've heard of, uh, Esther Hicks is one, mm-hmm. Paul Selick is another, they channel like uh, what they call like a universal consciousness. Yeah, collective. Right. right. That's not him. He is, mm-hmm. he's, it's singularly him, specific singular. to me. Specific to you. And, okay. that, and that's what I think is unique because I just wonder, as you and I are looking in this Zoom call here, yeah. I just wonder, I wonder what your guy's like or what your, maybe, maybe it's a female. I wonder what that's yeah. like, you know? Uh, uh, so that's, that's, that's how the pro that's how the process happens for, for good or bad. The, the dynamic that happens within me in terms of writing it all is so atypical, it's so unconventional in terms of what mm-hmm. it is and who I am, that it's hard for me to kind of amputate my skepticism every night that I go there. Yeah, I bet. Uh, uh, I bet. Uh, to what is really kind of pulling out from that. What is really the message that I'm, sent, that I'm really being, being given here? Mm-hmm. The kind of, the end of the book kind of comes to that conclusion, you know, that not unlike yeah. not unlike the Buddhist teachings that I've had that right. somebody asked me the other day, well, what is the what do you think the one takeaway is? And I said, Well, that's a very good question, because we can certainly sift through the detail of all of it. Uh, mm-hmm. but in the end, what he's really telling me is I'm so much more than what I think I am. Yes. Which is a fundamental basic Buddhist teaching. Just not just not mm-hmm. kind of spiritualized, that's a real word, compared to the way he represents it. Well, it's interesting you put it that way because I see it as a very 
a common spiritual teaching yeah. as well. Like you are more than you think you are. You're far more than you think you are. Right. Um, but maybe that's the the spiritual teachers I'm drawn to, right? In my universe, right? right. <laughs> that are speaking to me from whatever means, whether right. that's through Esther Hicks or someone else, you know, a, a visit. To me, that's hopeful that we are more than, far more than we think we are, that we are on a journey. It gives me hope in a way that other things don't actually, you know, yeah. I can get quite, quite mired down in like the hopelessness of this life or this body or the physicality of it. I found it really fascinating to read through his perspective of that. Yeah. I'd be curious about, you know, I, mean, I, I do this with everybody that I zoom with or pod okay. with. Do we call this podding? Or pod I don't know. <laughs> I call it zooming, but we <laughs> call it a pod if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fine. <laughs> uh, because it is, uh, what's the intended purpose behind kind of taking that kind of a voyage? You know, for for each of us, because you're right, it is an individualized voyage that we take. Despite all the words, and I don't know how many words are in that book, but despite all the words, in the end, it comes down to very being very simplistic in terms of what his message is. You know, mm -hmm. it was that you 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 finished the book, so I was struck. I'm actually kind of uh, hypnotized almost by the comment at the end about, but he's showing you a key. Mm. You know. And uh, mm -hmm. he does that kind of stuff to me all the time, you know, and that the key really, as you said, it just represents awareness, but yeah. you know, that's what the key is. The key has always been awareness and he gets into it in the book. You, so, you know, uh -huh. yeah. he gets into the things that shut us down in terms of our awareness, even down to, and I'm not taking shots at anybody's religion. I think religion is a good thing, yeah. a good thing if you get good things out of it, uh, but that some dogmatic structures actually you know, shut the door on our awareness that doesn't mm -hmm. want us to kind of be explosive in terms of what we, what we can or can't or can't know. Right. But we can consider. Yeah. yeah. It's always a matter of awareness to seek what's beyond the obvious. Yes. You know? Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I loved that. I loved to, you know, it, it lined up for me because I do a lot of work with weight loss professionally, but also it's a, a focus of mine still. And just recently I had thought like part of weight loss is spiritual, like taking care of your body right. and taking care of the body you're in and, and your own soul and spirit, whatever someone wants to call that. And then I read that it's there at the end of the book. <laughs> like it's part of the purposes yeah, to, to learn how to take care of your, your kingdom, your body, you know? And I was like, Oh my God. Yes. Thank you, bud. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Wait until the, right? the very end. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And so I found that really fascinating too, of, you know, how that was framed by him right there at the end right. of some of the lessons that we have as we go along. Uh, what I got most, and maybe it's because of just, maybe it's me and the way I'm wired, I guess. I learn more through stories. And maybe that's why there's just a load of analogies throughout, mm -hmm. throughout the book. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, for example, the, uh, the analogy about, br about bricks, you know, yes. every time that we do something that may not be along the lines of moving us forward, we're basically giving ourselves a brick and we're carrying that brick around yes. with us. And, yeah. and, and if you keep accumulating bricks, they'll turn eventually, if you don't find a way to offload them in some form or fashion, uh, uh -huh. it, tur it turns into a wall for you and you will face that wall. 
you know. Yeah. And that piece, I found it interesting, some of the, especially when it gets into, deeply into the afterlife, how some of the way he, it's not the way he describes it, what he's describing is somewhat universal. And I know that needs a little explanation, Liz, but uh, certainly there is a review. Uh, his, mm-hmm. his description of a review is in far more detail than what you would learn in terms of any kind of dogmatic presentation or even a near-death ex- a presentation. Absolutely, so, but, yeah. But you are faced with uh, you know, the accumulation of whatever you've kind of drawn to it. I found it fascinating, and this may be just for your listeners here, that I was always in wonderment about, because I, I didn't have a near-death experience, but I had a patient who had one, mm-hmm. and that's in the book. Uh, and I was always fascinated by, you know, what is that tunnel? that people talk mm-hmm. about. And I have a little bit of, of knowledge about the University of Virginia Perceptual Studies Division down there, which does all the near-death experience, near-death cataloging cool. experiences, et cetera. Yes. Okay. And, and they do a lot of, of that as well in terms of what really is that uh-huh. tunnel. Is it a passageway? Is it, you know, what? He says, it's you. Yes. He says, it's you. You, know, you are. you, And that's the, that's the other takeaway from me is that I never considered myself to be an energy. My ego never kind of let me go oh. there. You know, he says, you're, oh, ba- okay, you're, got you're it. basically a ball of energy. And yes, a ball, he does a ball say of energy that, right? has vibration and frequency to it. You're no different than any other energy, the energy in this pen or anything else. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, and you'll, you will vibrate at a certain level based upon what you've done or who yeah. you've done it to, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and that's the spinning. Yeah, that's yes. what you are. Okay. That is fascinating. I, I think since reading Michael Newton's books, I've thought of myself more as an energy and listening to, to Esther and Abraham Hicks. But the way that he puts it is really interesting in terms of like being able to vibrate yeah. right, with things and that everything has a vibration. Yeah. And I mean, I think the hippies would tell us this, right? Like if you like, oh, bad vibes here. Yeah, <laughs> right. go ahead and leave the room, you know? Yeah. And some people are more intuitive yeah. about that than yeah. others, right? Was, but he, it, he was relentless on it, wasn't he? Just, yes, I saw relentless. it as like much more concrete. In, yeah. And for some reason, when I was reading along, then more of a like concept it's been sort of yeah. a concept in my mind and it's like oh no this is really concrete here like he's yeah. really talking about yeah. the vibration of different yeah. um, things in the world including me i mean I, i'm always very curious of people's reaction because it does it butts up to everything that we do know where it's kind of out there within our universe about what what it may or may not be you know the the whole idea yeah. behind the senses that you go through and how you move through mm-hmm. that according to Chakra. That by the way, chakra was was Charlotte's word. It wasn't his word. Okay. It's really her word. He kind of said yeah. he said, I need a package just so that you understand it, bud, because he's using mm-hmm. words that I don't really understand. Uh, oh, okay. So okay. uh but yeah, I really liked the chakra metaphor. Yeah, though. that's I kind did. of it's kind yeah. of interesting that uh, it's relatable. Uh, yeah. I have a question for you, Elizabeth. Yeah. The first chapter is uh-huh. about the octopus analogy. Yes. Okay. When you pick up the book. And the first thing you get hit with is this damn octopus analogy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. What I find is most people say, geez, you almost lost me with the octopus thing. Oh, no, no. Okay. And and really the octopus, I mean, he does explain it at the end. Uh, Uh But but he he did that with me for 10 years. He kind of introduces Uh. something 
and uh-huh. then and then we kind of go around to really examine basically the yin and yang of it. Uh-huh. And it comes back to, well, this is what, did you get it now, bud? He, it's interesting. Okay. It's interesting okay. Elizabeth, he never tells me. He never tells me. In the new book I'm writing, it's uh-huh. ab- absolutely painful because some of the stuff he's talking about, <laughs> I mean, I'm in there for hours trying to answer a question, but he's not going to tell me. He says, you have to find uh, the answer to this yourself. Okay. So, so the octopus analogy was really a way for him to illustrate to me that's the best way, but I can illustrate to you that we have multiple lives, that we live multiple yes. lives. That's what it Yeah, was. I thought it was by the end, I would say. Yeah, by the end. By yeah. the end, I really appreciated the octopus analogy right. in terms of like moving through these tentacles and, and even getting stuck in one yeah. and um, and then eventually going more towards, you know, the head of the octopus. But not only that, it was the sense of, um, I don't know why this is coming up at this moment, but the sense of like, you can change all of those past lives in a current life, right? Like that energy is related. And I could sort of see that like moving through the octopus for some reason, you know, the legs and all the lives there, this energy just moving through and changing. Um, I had a hard time with that. I bet. I bet. I was just recently introduced to this concept. I had interviewed somebody else on the podcast, um, Dr. Andy Hahn. So I did this session with him. Right. And where we go into a past life experience, something like this. But at the end, I say, well, you know, Andy, I, I'm i a little bit practical here. Like, how is this going to change my kids right now? You know? <laughs> like, and so he said, like, oh, what you did right now changes that past life, which then changes the future. And it was sort of like, for me, I paused for that moment with my brain trying to make all the network connections. But it's like, when I ran into it this time, it's like, oh, this is the second time I've heard this. I'm waiting for the right. third right. to appear soon, right. you know? <laughs> but it's like, right. this energy, what we're doing now doesn't just change the future for us. It changes the past as well. And it heals the past. That just really fits with with some of the hypnosis work I do, honestly, of like, okay, healing. We're doing the healing right now, but we're actually healing the past self that experienced the trauma or was not listened to as a little child or somehow got disconnected from the self or thought that they weren't worthy. They weren't good enough. So it's like, yeah, we're healing both of those sides of it. It amazed me about, uh, again, the complexity of it. Yes. And I asked them one time, and this is where it gets down to what questions do you ask? You know, what questions do you ask and how do you uh-huh. ask it? How do you frame it? And we were just talking one time. And what's interesting about the experience is what's not in the book. Mm-hmm. Because there's one thing to have a regurgitation of what experience I'm having. It's another thing to write the book as though I'm having therapy with you know, a, spiritual, yes. a spiritual being. Yeah, uh, But I asked him, I said, I've done this a number of times, exactly what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. He says, oh, more times, you know, <laughs> more time, more t- I said, okay, so if that's true, then there's some things that I chose, I guess I chose this iteration again to rectify a thing here or there. He says, mm-hmm. you, all of you do that. Oh, wow. You know, it, it's that one part of the book where he says, if you pass, 
And mm-hmm. if the vibration is on a scale of one to 10 mm-hmm. and you pass and you're a five. So you spend okay. some time in the, <laughs> in the senses and the, and the chakra, you're kind of doing your thing. Uh, but you get out, you, 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 you kind of cleanse yourself as you says, and you get out. And so somehow you've managed to find your way back to the head of the octopus. Yes. And I said, well, what do I do now? He says, well, sometimes he said, what you've done, bud, is you've looked back and said, I want to go back to that one time when I was an eight. I really want to feel that eightness again. Mm. He says, and I said, well, I, I thought first, that's cool. Yeah, you just got, you, you cancel five, mm-hmm. you go to an eight. He says, oh, no, 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 no. He says, you can go back to an eight, but anything you do going forward is a five. Oh, yeah. So you cannot carry it forward because you have to, you have to work through whatever uh-huh. the karma residue that's there or not. Yeah. So I found it interesting. And he really kind of confuses me at the end. He's talking about the influences of all other things have on my progression, right? Mm-hmm. My soul's progression. And he gives me and you this concept of an octopus analogy. Right. And then he says, just imagine for a moment. Your spiritual life is like going to a university. Mm-hmm. And within a university, but you have multiple colleges. Right. So let's take, let's take Dr. Bonet, for example. Let's say that her, and this would be a question they would ask you, by the way. Mm-hmm. What's the one word that describes this particular voyage you're on? What's the one word? What would be the one word to describe you and who you are? Compassion. Not, not what you do. No. Who no, no. Is. Learning compassion. Okay. So let's take that. And let's I just, two words. Yeah. But, let, let's, know, let's, enough, right? let's, <laughs> let's capitalize that into basically, I would look at what you do and say, Elizabeth is a classic example of a healer. That's what mm-hmm. she is. She really is a healer. Now, she may be healing according to one particular aspect of healing, and mm-hmm. that may be her concentration now. Within the university of her soul life, she's in the college of healing. Mm-hmm. So Elizabeth has to go to that college and she has to learn everything, absolutely everything about healing. She has to learn to be patient, doctor, mm-hmm. observer, administrator, licensure, right. et cetera, et cetera. So mm-hmm. all of those lives, whether it's one octopus dropping of tentacles or 10,000, in order for her to graduate from that college, she has to learn everything the yin and yang of it. I said, well, then what? Well, then you move on to the next college. Uh-huh. And maybe in that college, maybe Elizabeth is a teacher. Right. No, so right. she starts that thing. And he said, and it is in the book, and he says, now just imagine that all these octopuses are all connected by tentacles yeah. or the universe. That is the universe of soul existence. Yeah. And your journey is to go through each college to go through the complete university, uh-huh. the yin and yang of both to graduate. I said, oh, that then is that when you join with the creator? Mm-hmm. No, it all happens all over again. I said, what? That's what we're doing. We're kind of just continuing the process over and over and over again. I had a hard time kind of grabbing on. I thought maybe there'd be some. R and R, and I, I brought that up to us. It, it, it does guess, sound exhausting, but then I, then I guess <laughs> right? R&R. it's like I have to do this forever. And he said, he said <laughs> at some point I get released. He, he right? says, "Well, I said, well, I mean, 
is there a heaven? I'm going to ask the obvious. I ask uh-huh. the, not stupid. Yeah. I ask the, is there a heaven? If you believe, yes. If you believe there's one, yes. That's yeah. your primary memory. So when yeah. you first pass, that's what you experience. And I think even in the book, I said, well, well, how long do I experience that? He says, well, we don't have time here. So it's hard for me to explain to you. You would think it's like, I don't know, a couple of days. We look at it as like uh-huh. a couple of seconds, you know, here. And uh-huh. then, and then I said, well, what happens? He says, well, suppose for a moment that heaven for you is walking on the beach on a great day, 75 degrees, breezy, mm-hmm. then that's heaven for you. He says, how long do you think you're going to walk on that beach until you're aboard? He says, because your soul uh-huh. is, is fluid, it's moving, it's always emotion, it's always emotion. Mm-hmm. So it's always looking for things. It's looking to kind of attach to things. It's looking to grow, et cetera, et cetera. He says, and that's when most souls begin to kind of expand, mm-hmm. right? And say, well, what else do I have beside the beach? Yeah, and, right. and it and it kind right. it kind of gets into a little bit. <laughs> yeah, what I liked that was comforting about Michael Newton was uh-huh. that it was all very organized, right? It's all very yes. all very positive. It was like. Yes joining your groups, you had your buddies, you go to school, you learn. So, you know, it, I, I, yeah. love, I love that fact. It said, oh, I can really get into that afterlife. Yes. And I wrote in the book, I you know, having a Michael Newton approach to this is like reading a, a, a time-honored novel, you know? Uh-huh. And what Laz is presenting to me is like a, it's like a horror show. You know, in, 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 in that. Well, except that it, your soul is choosing it's, it's so to go di- off the beach, it's right? So diverse. We're yeah. done with the beach. We're going to do something else now, right? Like yeah. that in some but sense he, gives he me never, comfort. Yeah, he never, he never, he never uh, admonishes any of the dogmatic structures that we have, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he, he never talks about God in the sense that we do, uh-huh. you know, that it's a, uh, some um, I'm, I'm Roman Catholic by birth, you know, so we always had the belief that there was, you know, a guy and you know with a beard and a robe and stuff like that. And yeah, uh, right. He yeah. doesn't present it as that. He presents it as yeah. When I stopped being atheist, I I actually did not believe in the a patriarchal God that I grew up with. The, the, right. You know, the guy and the beard right. and all that. It was more of um, what I like to call my freaky deaky higher powers like the plural. <laughs> so, right. yeah. so I, I can get down with that concept for sure. But, um, but I did want to ask about Michael Newton. You said you asked him about that. Oh, Michael Newton. <laughs> right. We talked about Michael Newton. We talked about, and I said, well, there's a, a, an author down here, Michael Newton, and he had this approach. And basically what I told you, it's very structured and it kind of had organized. I said, how does that relate to where we're going? He says, well, Michael Newton's here. He already uh-huh. knows. He already knows. Uh-huh. He already knows what it is. Okay. So, but is it like the books? That's what that's well, that, the question, that, 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 right? It, 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 like, you know, great. Yeah, alluding, I'm assuming that Michael Newton is there because he, you know, he's alluding to it. In a paraphrase, okay? Because I can't remember okay. exactly what he said. Okay. But he said when he was hypnotizing his people into life after life, uh-huh. they're not dead. They're hypnotized. Right. They're hypnotized. Right. 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 Yes. So he talks about that disconnection. So uh-huh. not being dead, your energy doesn't split. Uh-huh. You don't experience all those kind of other levels. What mm-hmm. you do is you walk the ridges of an afterlife. And when you walk the ridges of an afterlife, mostly what you're getting is your memories or past life kind of stuff. You, know, you mm-hmm. kind of pick up bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. 
he described mediums this way to me. He talked about space time and time space. Uh-huh. I get lost in physics, chemistry, biology, uh-huh. and, and the sciences he gives me. He talked about different talents to mediums. And he says, okay. imagine that there's a pool of water. And if you go into the pool of water, you can access, say, things that you have. You already have. You have it. Uh-huh. It's, just, it's just turned off. He says, some people have the ability to put their toe in the water. Uh-huh. He says, now, Bud, maybe that's somebody that you would go to a psychic fair and they go up to a booth and the person is able to kind of give you a couple of things here or there. Okay. Some people can go in waist deep, uh-huh. you know, and they have much more access to things. And he gave mm-hmm. a couple of examples. I won't give you names. We gave you a couple of examples yeah. of people. He said, then you have people like that woman sitting there across from you who is submerged in the water. Mm-hmm. She sees all of it. He said, mm-hmm. so that's the, the diversity of what you get. But uh-huh. mostly, he says, when people walk into mediums, mediums picking up stuff. Yeah. But he or she picking up is, he says, you're like a billboard. It's what's mm-hmm. on you. It's on your aura. It's stuff that's mm-hmm. there. Is there a John in your life? You know, did you have somebody pass for a heart mm-hmm. thing? These are things that are kind of obvious that are on the billboard of your aura. He Got says, it. to go beyond that for predictability, he says, mm-hmm. you really have to be talking to somebody like me. He said, oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. But, but he also said, but I'm not going to predict for you because predicting for you actually Put your soul in reverse. You don't learn. Huh. So next psychic you go okay. to. Okay. Next psychic okay. you go to. Say, okay. I say, I wonder. What am I, I gonna, don't want to put my soul in reverse. I really don't. What am I going to put on my billboard before I walk in here? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So. That is really interesting. Well, we are coming to the end of our time here, and I could talk to you forever. <laughs> but It went quickly, didn't it? Yeah. It did. It did. But I really wanted to thank you for going on this journey, for um, writing it, not in fiction form, okay? <laughs> and for absolutely being on the podcast. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah. Can you tell people how to find you and how to find your books? My book is everywhere. I mean, they can buy, you can buy it on Goodreads, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if you want to learn more about the journey itself, then go to budmcgargie.com and we'll kind of get an, an orientation to all five of the books and kind of what they're about. And so I think that's the best way to do it. You know? Okay, wonderful. And that will be in the show notes as well. Oh, cool. So thank you again for okay. this wonderful, enlightening conversation. It's been fun. Your pleasure, Liz. You know, your pleasure to be with truly enjoying today's episode. Remember that you can get free hypnosis downloads over at my website, drlizhypnosis.com, D-R-L-I-Z hypnosis.com. I work all over the world doing hypnosis. So if you're interested in working with me, please schedule a free consultation over at my website and we'll see what your goals are and if I can be of service to you in helping you reach them. 
Finally, if you liked today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast or tell a friend. That way, more and more people learn about the power of hypnosis. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful week. Peace.